Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of the Decolonial Podcast with Natasha and Maya. Today's guest is Daniel Edmund. Daniel is a dynamic speaker, presenter, filmmaker and social entrepreneur. His work is largely based in systems change and is grounded in the approach of social change through social healing. Daniel is passionate about making this world more equitable for everyone in it, especially women, people of colour, LGBTQ plus people, young people, etc. He is the host of the podcast Race and Gender Unfiltered and is currently working on his debut documentary under the same name. In 2015, Daniel got his start in professional speaking at TEDx Bristol, where he spoke to an audience of over 2,000 people on the issue of men's mental health. So I met Daniel when he came in to talk to me in the charity that I used to work for, which is a young person's mental health charity in Bristol. And Daniel wanted to talk about a uh, men's mental, a young men's mental health workshop that he was working on. And we just hit it off straight away. This was about three years ago. We kept in touch for three years. Um, every now and again, we met up or we crossed paths in the professional world. And we always had a great vibe, great energy together. We, we were always um, bouncing off each other. And then last year, when the BLM movement started up uh, in even more ferocity after the murder of George Floyd, um, we got in touch again and we we've been in touch every week, at least once ever since. And we've collaborated on um, some of Daniel's podcasts. We've spoken about some really, really um, quite fiery topics regarding decolonizing. Um, our latest one was about interracial relationships, which was um, it was needed. And I think that's one of our most uh, popular talks. So please check that out on our um, the links in our social media. Um, and Daniel is a very close friend of mine and I consider him a brother and I love him very much. And we are starting a decolonizing course together. So welcome, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> Maya, thank you for that. Hello, Natasha. Thank you both for having me. That was a beautiful introduction and I'm very touched and that means a lot to me. So thank you. And it's nice to reminisce. Like, yeah. you know, I, you know, we've, yeah, we've known each other for years now. And it's, we've been through a lot. We have been through a lot. And since we, um, since we started working together more last year, we have decolonized a lot. So we've divested from many things together. Um, I know you've divested from the church. Uh, we've divested from relationships, from certain professional working um, environments. So we have been through some really challenging times. And that's why we are starting this course together because we feel uh, we've embodied enough of it now to help, hopefully help uh, support and empower other people to do the same. Mm. 100%. So let's begin our, um, our discussion. Natasha, I know there was something that you wanted to bring up that's really pertinent at the moment. Yes, yes. So basically our episode today um, it's called White Supremacy Sports and the 4th of July. Mm. Um, all things that are quite hard-hitting, um, mm. difficult to talk about, but all things that are the, the things that we're still dealing with at the moment and that, that uh, decolonization is very much in, enmeshed with at the moment. And I don't know whether anybody's been keeping up with, with this in the news or with their social media feeds at the moment, but... Um, Oxfam released a report um, in June, I believe, but it's gone viral very, very recently because they've defined whiteness as the overreaching preservation of power and domination for the benefit of white people. And of course, this has triggered everyone um, <laughs> and, and caused a massive uproar. And when you search for material around this and when you search for critical thought around this or commentary around this, a lot of the articles that I've seen coming up are The Times, The Telegraph, The Express, The Daily Mail. And it, and it is about um, reverse racism. That's the lens through which this is being processed and it's being processed as an attack on white people and as BIPOC, as people of color, I wanted to touch base um, about this issue, but also ask 
you, Daniel, like what your what your take on it was. Because when I look at this, I wonder whether um, the, this definition applies more to white supremacy um, than than whiteness. And and so, from a neutral position, I wonder whether if someone were to define brownness or blackness, they're talking about all black people or all brown people. Um, whereas white supremacy is a radicalized part of and and a um, very focused, uh, very dark, sinister part of of white culture. And a great deal of white culture can prop up and lend itself to to white supremacy, but um, that's where I wondered whether the confusion was. But I I love to get both of your takes on this and whether you think it is actually you know this is whiteness. For sure, uh, it's an interesting conversation you know to have, and you know I think a lot of the social commentary that's happening right now, you know whether you know whether it's this thing with Oxfam, whether it's football right now or what it whatever it may be it's really interesting to hear the discourse that's going on and what we end up having due to social media is everyone kind of throwing their two cents in and their feelings in and their opinions in and much fewer people i think actually understand the topics of which they're actually speaking about or they're commenting on which is fine because i'm sure that i speak about stuff that i don't fully understand in depth you know but i have my opinions on which is absolutely fine but i think particularly when we're speaking about issues of race decolonization inclusivity diversity equity i think we do have to make room and space for the people who are working in this space and who actually do have some grounding into understanding the historical context of the uh, of this uh, topic when we look at whiteness white supremacy etc colonization um race and so again i think you know having space like this i think is really important and i think this this podcast is really important you know so that people can get a, i think an insight into uh people who again who who do this work you know and who who are who are engaging in this in in a in a meaningful way Mm. Um, so I guess that's my preface to what I'm about to say. Um, so for me, when I, I read a few articles, knowing that I was coming on the show today, um, about the Oxfam situation and, and I do understand Natasha, and I think that was really interesting uh, and poignant what you said, you know, it, uh, the kind of provocation of, you know, is this whiteness or is this white supremacy? Uh, are these two things intertwined, etc.? And the reality is, is that the work has not been done to detangle whiteness and white supremacy. They yes. right now, as it stands, they mm -hmm. are one in the same. Yeah. And so there, mm -hmm. I, but I do understand why white people would be like, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm being attacked for being white, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, the reality is whiteness to be white in reality. And if you go back to the, the core of it, you know, before I'm, and I'm going to speak about before, colonization before uh before england was even one con unified country actually to be white was not to be racist and mm -hmm. it was not to be aggrandizing a, a yourself through the oppression of other people and gaining yeah. resources and stealing lands you actually did have an identity before that because of colonization the, the transatlantic slave trade and the the host of other atrocities that this country in particular has administered to much of the world whiteness was then uh, was an idea that was fictionalized and then perpetuated to the world and now we have this dynamic and power structure that we're existing in today so now whiteness and white supremacy are one and the same but mm -hmm. it was not always like this whiteness and the idea of whiteness is a fictional idea but the work has not been done to detangle that. So right now it is one and the same, but what's on offer for white people is that you can actually get back to who you actually are. Because right now white people are, you, you, you cannot be fully whole if you think that your, the, that your identity is wrapped around oppressing other people and aggrandizing yeah. yourself through that. Yeah. And they, see, that's the sacrifice that has come from white supremacy, colonization, transatlantic slave trade, et cetera. The sacrifice has been the white identity. It's the fact that you do not know who you are apart from this made-up world that you have been brought to brought up believing. And that is sad, actually. As a black person, I look and I'm like, that's actually sad that you think that this is real. 
that you, yeah, you think don't know that your you, own history. You don't even, yeah. and you don't know your own self. Yeah, mm. many don't know their own self. And again, there are white people who are doing that work to decolonize and and mm. and to detangle that. And I think that is work that I highly encourage and implore people to do. But right now, most people have not done that. So you are living in within a, a fictitious ideology of what who you think you are and the identity that you ground yourself in. So right now, I'd say Oxfam. Told no lies. Interesting. That's I, that's such an interesting take on it. It really, really is. And I, I'm inclined to agree with you because the two things are so heavily intertwined. And there has been so much, um, so much distortion of of the truth and so much distortion of history to fit this narrative. Um, that is p- still perpetuated today. And that's where white fragility comes from, because I am sure on some visceral level that people are aware of this dis- disconnect and this discomfort, and they know that it's there. And so whenever that comes close to being uncovered or we start unpicking it, everybody starts freaking out and they don't want you to come near it. And that's where we get this, this awful, um, fractious uh, reaction to anything that comes close to uncovering truth and really sitting in that uncomfortable space where you're like, "Hi, this is this is reality. It's not it's not what you thought it was. Let's talk about it." And then you are met with all the mental gymnastics and the gaslighting and and all of that stuff. But it, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> yeah with that with that short like short speech, you've kind of changed my mind about it. So, <laughs> my, what do you think? I literally, you couldn't have said it better. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, mm. At the moment, whiteness and white supremacy is so intertwined. It's the same beast at this point in time because of colonization. Um, and because um, hundreds of years ago, the white elites created the concept of whiteness to separate, yeah. divide and rule the white working class from people of color. Because if you can separate those two and make them feud between each other, then they're distracted from the real criminals and the real um, sort of uh, the the people that are really behind um, siphoning off all the power and the money. Mm. So I agree at the moment, um, whiteness is white supremacy, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like you were saying, Daniel, before whiteness was a concept, uh, people who would now be considered white had their own indigenous identity. They they had earth honoring practices. They had pride mm. in who they were as as a people. They had um, connections to their lineage, um, their ancestry, and you know a lot of them were like pagans or you know before Christian colonialism came in. Um, and so this is what we're kind of trying to get white people to see. Um, and there is a fantastic course uh, called Roots Deeper Than Whiteness by um, an organization called White Awake. And my uh, partner, who is white, who is doing the work, um, and it's been challenging at times, he he does the course and it does, it does strip away a lot of this. So I would recommend for anyone white listening to this, check out White Awake, because there is, there is an identity for you b- before this concept of whiteness came along and before the idea of supremacy came along. And it, and I think one of the reasons it's so challenging for white people and why this fragility comes up is because the identity of white people is so fixed in white supremacy that it almost feels like a death, a, a mm. death to lose it. It's it, And it is, it, in a way, it is an ego death. It's a stripping away of everything you thought you were. It doesn't mean that that's negative, though, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel better, more liberated, more empowered, more connected to yourself afterwards. And I strongly urge anyone who's willing to go there to to go there. And it, and it's not not going to be challenging. It definitely will. But you know, you will have a bigger connection to your humanity and other people's humanity through that process. And there are others doing the same thing. So you won't be on your own. So mm. I would highly, highly recommend that. 100%. You know, there's so much on offer. And, you know, and my, you've, you said that so well. And th- there's so much on offer. And I think this, again, like you said, this connection to to your humanity, you know, yeah. and I think that's the thing, I think, for, for white people, like, recognize that you are not fully connected to your humanity. You are, mm. you are not fully connected to yourself. You know, again, yeah. it's like, 
And it's like, and I, and I mean that from a, from a racialized point of view, you know, and like, but that's on offer that, that it's, it, all of this is challenging. Like Maya said, and it is going to, it is. And, and Maya, you said, you know, for some people you think it, they feel like it's a death, and rightfully so, you said it, it is. It, it is, is a death to the way that you were brought up thinking about yourself and the yes. world around you, the death to a death to what you think about other community groups and groups of people, death mm-hmm. to what you feel like England, the US and Europe as a whole is and was. You know, it's a death, but mm-hmm. there is also something that's on offer. And anytime we look at deconstructing something, we must have the heart of reconstruction at you know, there as well. And so we're not just looking to dismantle this and there should be this void of nothingness. Actually, <laughs> what, just what, throw what, them into space. <laughs> yeah. just, just, no, just nothing. It's just going to be just chaos. It's like, no, it's actually what we're, what we're putting back up is we, you know, I would love to live in a world where white people could be proud of, of who they are yes. and not, and not feel that guilt and shame because yes. you, don't you want because that? Because who don't, you are is rooted in oppression. There are exactly. other things outside of that. Hundred yeah. percent, and you can live a life free of that. You can, yeah. you can, and it's kind of similar. And I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, you know. But like the whole, you know, this whole thing with with football right now. You know, we're in the Euros. We made it to the finals, which is absolutely amazing. But this whole thing as well, like people not even wanting to buy flags, but they love football and they love their team and they want to support mm. their favorite players and they don't want to buy an England flag and but like they want to, but they don't want to and like. Don't we want to live in a space where we feel proud that we can actually represent the country that we're from? It's like, don't you want to be able... And it's like, I think there's this massive, like, misconception that, like, black and brown people don't want to be involved in this country. It's like, that's not true. It's we not tried. True. It was not, it was not allowed. <laughs> it, was not, it, was very, it did not go well. Hey, y'all were like, no, it's not happening. And that's what has caused the dissonance. It's like, we mm. weren't, we're not, we, we have not historically been welcome here. I would say we still are not welcome here, yeah. you know, in mm. so many different ways. And so of course, then people are going to feel like we can't be a part of that. You know, we we want to be involved, of course. And I think with Gareth Southgate and what he's doing, it's like I think you, you're seeing you're seeing leadership. You're seeing someone who's developing people from the inside out. He's saying yeah. you are more than just a pair of legs. You're more than just an athlete. You know, stand for something. Yeah. And you see that. And it's and here's the kicker: it's showing up in how they're playing. It's showing mm-hmm. up in, in in results. And it's the same way you look at a company. Yeah, actually, if you if you work on your culture and all these things that you think are unrelated to performance, actually, you will get better performance, you know, because mm-hmm. you have a team that's working for each other. You know, Raheem Sterling's not there like, oh, my my, my manager doesn't even care about black people. Da, da, da. No, he's like, my manager cares about me as a person. And yeah. yes, I'm also a talented athlete. And that makes me feel even more connected to this team, more connected to this country. And I want yeah. to perform the best that I possibly can. They're not mm-hmm. there having this like confliction, you know, and like, well, they probably still are because get, they're getting booed by England fans. But, you know, again, yeah. but, you know, and Gareth Southgate is, I really feel like he's doing a great job in terms of leading this group of young men. And yes. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of the entire team and what they're doing. You know, again, it is conflicting because they're also representing this country that right now now, as it stands, I have a lot of issues with, and mm. I think many of us do feel like there's a lot of dissonance and tension. But we just we got to work through it, you know. And I and I would love to see an England that looks like what we're seeing Gareth Southgate lead right now with those right. young men, an England that includes everyone, an England that stands up for the marginalized and the oppressed. Yeah. You know, again, we're not saying destroy England and like call it some other thing. Or th- <laughs> no, no one's. We're not going that extreme. Maybe we are. Who knows? That may come in the future. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like. It's, you know, it's, it's like, but it's like, actually like, I think the same thing we're talking about white people, England, it's also England as well. England can also change and England has, what's on offer for England is to reconcile and make atonement for all it's done and turn what was Mm -hmm. such a horrible situation into something that's going to help do so much good for the future. And I think there's so much opportunity on offer and yeah. it's like i think we're seeing it's, it very smallly with what gareth southgate is doing people exactly. are very scared of of um giving the floor to 
to someone else, particularly people that control mm. uh, the narrative, particularly people mm. that are in power, particularly people that have structured or or benefit from the way that society and the world is structured um, and when it bends towards them or bends in their favor. But this is something that I find myself saying a lot at the moment when I'm doing a lot of South Asian Heritage Month lit prep and talking to councils and schools. And it's like, the people that need to lead these conversations are the people from the communities that are affected and that are mm. marginalized. But the people behind the steering wheel in the car on the small road at the, at the moment, they're so reluctant to give the wheel to somebody else because they think it's my car. I'll get kicked out of the car. I don't know what to do. And what no one is realizing is the second you give the wheel to someone else, you're no longer in a car. It becomes a spaceship. You're no longer on a tiny road. That vehicle changes, what, where it can get propelled to changes, you're suddenly in space and you're exploring things that you never could have imagined. It changes the nature of where you can go, what you can do, what you thought possible. And you're thinking exactly. about this tiny car on this stupid <laughs> ass road. Like, what is wrong with you? You won't even remember the car. The, 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 what, and it's exactly what you're saying. What is on offer is absolutely amazing but because everyone is looking at this with such blinkers on they're yeah. not seeing they're not seeing possibility and possibility is infinite it's mm. absolutely infinite mm. and it's and it's because everything has been so heavily modified and controlled mm -hmm. people are so reluctant to give that up because within that system they benefit the most but mm. when everybody is a beneficiary anything is possible anything is possible and equality is not a finite resource it's not it's not going to disappear if you if you give some of your power away it actually yeah. empowers all of you and it makes yeah. everything better but it's it's a frustrating one but i'm i'm really glad that you touched on football because i know maya wanted to bring us uh bring us something about about the fa didn't you yeah so uh we speak today and it's the 8th of um july and last night england brought it home uh so to speak so <laughs> it won uh england won two was it two nil against denmark two, two one to denmark two one. Um, yeah two one to denmark and so i wanted to talk a little bit about this and i know daniel you touched on this earlier so according to the migration museum uk without players with at least one parent or grandparent born overseas england would be down to just three players um <laughs> So this is a really interesting fact, and I just wanted to kind of uh, bring a few more facts in as well. Um, so Sterling, who uh, scored one of our goals, um, he is of Jamaican descent. Yes. Uh, yet, according to um, a report by um, Black Things UK, which is uh, an Instagram account, uh, there is a Jamaican man currently, um, some, uh, they're trying to deport him basically in Bristol. Um, so at the same time as celebrating the goals that this man of Jamaican descent, Sterling, has achieved, they're also trying to deport Jamaican people. Um, and there's, there's a huge sense of confusion and hypocrisy. And it feels like Britain is, is proud of us as people of colour when we excel for them in the name of Britain, but when it doesn't align with their values it's like we're just dehumanized again and kicked out. I just wanted to ask your your thoughts on that. And yeah, just, yeah. hundred percent, you know, I mean, the match last night, it was so tense. Oh my gosh, like my, anxi <laughs> my anxiety, my heart is really tough. Um, with the, the, the goal that Raheem had, it was actually, uh, and this is like trivial, but uh, it's uh, it was actually an own goal by Denmark that Raheem forced. I I, I thought it was a, a goal as well, but it ended up being, I think, that Denmark actually kicked it into their own goal, but he right. forced it. But um, but Raheem's done incredible this uh, yeah. this, this tournament in the Euros. Um, I think he's I think he's the man of the tournament. Um, I think he should definitely get that. I think he has done incredibly well for England, and I'm so proud of him and the entire team. Um, it's tough, you know, because it's like, you know, you look at, you know, you know, Raheem and you know I'm Jamaican as well and mm. you know I understand as well how pe how people view Jamaicans in this country you know yeah. and it's like Raheem can be this you know praised as this you know athletic you know superhero 
and then still experience racism when he goes back to you know his neighborhood you know yeah. or where you know and it's like it's just yeah it's saddening and i think it it you know if we zoom out a little bit and we look at the colonial history you know it's really no different to what has always gone and gone on you know it's you know this country has no problem using black and brown labor black and brown talent mm-hmm. black and brown creativity black and yep. brown resources money etc excellence Yes. Excellence, mm. excellence, because that's what we're seeing from Raheem yeah. Sterling and every other person of color on that England team exactly. is excellence. Exactly. Mm. Just even being, just even getting on that team, you mm-hmm. know, you're living in is living in excellence. Yeah. And like, they don't, they don't, you know, and that's regardless of how they may be playing from game to game or match to match, rather. And like, and it's like, you have no problem with that, but then they don't want the people. They don't, you know, and it's like yeah. anyone who's mm-hmm. booing at Raheem for taking a knee or anyone on that team, it's like, well, you have no problem him scoring goals for your team, but exactly. you don't care about him and his community. Exactly. It's like, but again, yeah. that it's is it. That is currency, it. but not their humanity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that that is part of the white colonial mindset. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we'll take, we'll take, we'll take the labor, but we'll discard the person. Because it's colonialism yeah. doesn't care about the people. It doesn't care this about the it. culture. And, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't care about the fabric that it destroys from going into these lands. It doesn't care about the land itself. It doesn't care about any of that. It just cares about aggrandizing itself by oppressing groups of people and stealing land and stealing resources that are not theirs. Mm-hmm. So, it's, again, what, what we're seeing is just that, again, we're now seeing that through the, the, the lens of football. But it's, this, it's, the mm-hmm. same, it's the same ideology, you know? Use them up. And like, we'll give them, you know, we'll give them this, we'll give them that to kind of appease them to a degree. And then, but like, don't speak out against, you know, racism. Don't speak out against anything because, you know, we don't want that. And that doesn't align with right now where this country's values are from, if we're looking at it from the lens of the, uh, the government. So it's it's just colonial, it's colonialism 101. It's not, nothing's changed. I feel like, you know, that's the thing about colonialism is that, and racism, it's, it's, there's nothing new. It's just, it's just. <laughs> It's just the same ideologies that are just acted out in different ways. It's very yeah. predictable. Yes. And, but that, yeah. that, to be honest, for anyone who's doing anti-racism work, yes, it is longstanding, but it's very predictable. And that, it can be used to our advantage. Mm. What do you think, Natasha? I, the whole thing makes me incredibly frustrated and angry, um, particularly because I, uh, when it used to make me the angriest was when uh, sort of the, EU referendum result came out and when Brexit was happening and people were talking about that because they were talking about people going home and and, um, there were a lot of sort of radicalised people saying that we need to send people back. That's what the ideal Britain would look like. And, And I remember saying... But this doesn't apply to your fantasy football team, does it? And this doesn't apply <laughs> to your to your football teams. And but you're happy to learn everyone's complex names and learn everyone's like Ramadan and fasting schedules when it applies to how it affects your football games and your teams. But you don't actually care about these people. You don't care about their families. You don't care about them as individuals. You don't care about their humanity. And Daniel, what you said just now, we'll take the labor, but we'll discard the person. That was so powerful because that is exactly it. That is the root of this problem. Um, and, and taking the knee specifically, and we've seen this in in sports, you know, here and echoed here and America, whereby it's it, it you are currency, you are yeah. you are product, and and you will produce this for us so we can make money and we can extract your worth from you, but we will not qualify your worth and, and we will not offer you the dignity that you are afforded as a person and, and see the things that affect you and put you in danger as a person and and give you the platform that you have because of your talents, because of all the things that are yours and belong to you. We will not let you use this platform to voice your concerns, to show people what's happening to you that speaks to your humanity and you get silenced. And and Mm. then the way that, especially in our country, the way that this community turns on these people, the way that it goes from naught to racism, naught mm. to booing, naught to hanging up effigies on bloody lampposts and and death threats. I, I, the 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 polarization of attitudes towards these people who are your national heroes, I can never understand. And I I find it a really damaging and toxic environment. And so I, 
love what Gareth Southgate is doing. And mm-hmm. I've loved him for a long time for the reason that, you know, I don't know whether it was in 97 or not. Do you remember when he missed that penalty and the whole mm-hmm. country? 96, I think, yeah. That, right, the whole country hated that man, <laughs> hated that man. So he's seen, he's experienced in some form or another, not that it is in any way, shape or form close to racism and, and that lived experience. But he has he has viewed the... Um, the capacity for this unbridled hatred Mm. of the people of this nation through a very unique lens. And so I think that the compassion that he has for issues like this and perhaps the impetus that he has to drive change in certain areas and maybe change the way these massive crowds of thousands react to you, he's the right person to, to start this dialogue. Um, because he's because he's one of them, but also he knows what it's like to have a whole nation turn on you as well. So I think he's uniquely placed to to start that conversation. But it's also incredibly frustrating that it takes a white person to do it. Um, yeah. That it has to be a white person. We have to be, you know, the, the experience of the black and brown person has to be qualified through um, a, a white uh, voice box. In, in a lot of cases, and that is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Just, oh, go, go ahead, Mark. Oh, go, on. go ahead. No, no, I go for it. I was just going to say, I feel like football, this is a, a sense I'm getting, and I've had it for a few weeks. I remember saying to my partner recently, I feel like football is the dark horse of how a lot of healing is going to come about. Because, mm. as I was mentioning earlier, the white elites wanted to divide and rule the white working class from people of colour. Now, who is the biggest audience in terms of football in this country? It's the white working class. And the team that is winning those goals for them are majority or, well, a lot of them are people of colour or, um, you know, from immigrant families. So I feel that even though there are going to be these massive bumps I think that football could be the vehicle for healing some of these wounds between the white working class and people of colour. It it might not come in exactly the ways we want it to and when we want it to, but but this is football is England's pride and joy. Football is is the heart of the working class, I feel. Yeah. And I've always felt that. And mm. I grew up in Barnsley, which is like a very white working class town. So this is a very interesting thing to watch because I couldn't have predicted that this was how some of this healing was going to come about, but I think this is how some of it's going to come about. And some of these players are extremely intelligent, sensitive human beings. And because England is going to have their eye on them, they've, they've, they're the diamonds now, maybe mm. not as humans, but as commodities. But when these men start to speak more about what they really care about and their background, England will have to listen because these men are who they're looking at right now. And so I think this is like a dark horse moment for, for, for healing. And I think it's going to come through things like football, basically. hundred percent, Maya, that's incredibly poignant. And it was something that, um, well, I want to touch on a few, I want to touch on some things that you've shared, Maya, and some things that you sh- shared as well, Natasha, but I'll start with you, Maya. Sure. Um, incredibly poignant. And I was, to some synergy, I was just literally, I think, voice noting this last night, something very similar. Um, I'm not surprised, and like, Daniel. <laughs> literally voice noting it. And I was like, I was like, it's this is why football is so powerful. And I think yeah. that's the thing. It's like, and the thing, we have to also look at it from a global uh, point of view as well, that mm. football isn't just England's pride of joy. Most people in the world, it is, it is that country's main sport. Yes. Apart from, I would say, in, in North America. And even then, it's getting much bigger. Football yeah. in America is getting much, much bigger. I have like Korean friends that are like, oh my god, England in the in, in the Euros, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. What? Hundred <laughs> percent. No, fo- football. I, I would say football is the world sport. I yeah. would actually, I would say that. And there may be people who disagree and stuff like that. But in terms of like, hundred percent. And I and I think my you've you've hit the nail on the head. It's like it actually th- this football is a mechanism that I I agree is going to I think is going to really bring about a lot of healing and mm-hmm. a lot of because it's bringing about a lot of conversations and at some yeah. point people will have to look at themselves and look at through the, the the lens of which they're viewing these players at you know mm-hmm. and you know 100% 
And right now, it's tough. It's nasty. It's like, I mean, I can't even imagine to get booed from the very people that you're fight, like you're playing yeah. for. Like, yeah, that is awful. just, that's on so many, it's, it's just, there aren't even words for that. Like, you're going to boo me for standing up for what I believe, my people, and what I believe in human rights issues that people are trying to, you know, politicize and stuff like that and say it's Marxist and just ridiculous. Like, and it's like, you're going to boo me because I'm standing up for marginalized and oppressed people, <laughs> but then you're going to praise me when I, when I kick a, a ball through a net. It's like, what, what, what sense does that make? You know, yeah. it's like, but the reality is, is that actually they don't care about the players. And, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes this country doesn't really care about black and brown people. Like, and that's yeah. the thing. And it's like, people can say they do, but they don't like, you, yeah. there's just, it, you don't. And like, to be honest, a lot of white people don't care about black and brown people. Like, it's that's true. just the reality. That's just fact. And like, if you like, if, the, if, the, if that was not true, situations would be very different, you know? And it's we are like, an acceptable loss to this country. If ever it yeah. came down to the bottom line, we are an acceptable loss. 100%. That's it. 100%. But I'd love again, to see England without us. I'd love to see... <laughs> oh, oh, no accountants and doctors, guys. Like, no. We're out. no footballers, we're no. out. That's it. Yeah. No, 100%. And like, we're about guys, to go just, to the... just take all the spices and leave. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just take all the spices and go. And the thing is, and the thing is, and that's what builds up the resentment, and that's why a lot of black and brown people do feel the way they do and they're like you know what screw this country and like screw yeah. this and like i hope england does lose and, da, 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 yeah. da. and it's like yeah because it's like there's there's so much there's so much hatred that has been put into black and brown people from this country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and also too it's like this, this government particularly is not interested in doing any of the healing work to bring yeah. this country together nor do they have yeah. the acumen to do that but <laughs> <No>. again <laughs> like my was saying through football we are now seeing what government is not able to do yeah gareth mm-hmm. is literally helping to unify this country yeah through the lens of football and i think when we look at sport when we look at the arts we look at creativity we look at and film anything like that like these these things have incredible power to help us see the world through different lenses because mm-hmm. we're, it's like slightly removed from reality but also it bear is it mirrors reality just the same you know yeah. it's like so through this game that i love i can now see racial dynamics that happen in my neighborhood you know mm-hmm. and that happen in my company but now yeah. it's 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 seen like with these people that i'm not as my proximity isn't so close to and it kind of allows you to zoom out and be like, oh, wow, this is the world we're living in. And I think, Maya, like you said, it's. I think there is going to be a lot of healing that comes through football. And I, to be honest, even as I'm speaking right now, and like, I honestly, I just feel so proud of this team. And I just really want to say that because, I, you know, mm. I say a lot, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> about this country and rightfully so. And I know we all do. Yeah. And, but I also want to recognize like where, where, where there is, where there's hope, where there's, where there's movement, yeah. where there's breakthrough happening. Yes. And right now I, I would say to every person of color that is, that is, that is able and willing to rally behind this team. It's tough. Yeah. It's challenging, but rally behind this team because this I'm saying like, there, there's, 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 there's opportunity here. And when we talk mm. about opportunity, what's on offer here, there's, there's, there's so much on offer here. There's so much healing that's on offer. And I think again, my, you're like the, you know, when you were saying, you know, the ability to, you know, to heal, um, the relationships between white working class people and people of color. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's on offer. Like you said, that's yeah. one of the things that's on offer here. And again, it may not happen at this Euros, but again, each, each, I think each tournament, and it's just going to take us closer and closer to, to where we're going. And again, it's yeah. something that the government can't stop. You know, you yeah. can't stop Raheem Sterling from being who he is and doing what he's doing. You can't stop Gareth Southgate from saying, look, this is what we stand for. And yeah. I think, I think again, it's just like to see leadership in this way. And again, it, it is like that, that caveat of like, why does it have to come from a white person or a white man for it to be validated? That's where we're at right now. And so it's, you know, it's like, it, yes, that this sucks that it has to be that way. <laughs> but if but if that's the way that it works, and this is what I'm kind of the conversations I'm having kind of around publishing as well, where it's like mm. if that's the way that it works in order to get the right conversations happening and in order for it to to change, to actually drive change, then I was like, then it's a shit sandwich we've got to eat and we need to pretend it's Nutella. Like that and we and we <laughs> yeah. and it happened. This is a process that we only need to go through once. And yeah. then it is done. And then after that, that's the imprint. Like that is that that's the one thing that happened. And then from then on, we start to build up from there and, and change has happened. And yeah. and maybe that's the process. So and it is frustrating, but also 
you you need a conduit sometimes when you're trying to relate to somebody that's completely outside of you your yourself that can't and do, is unwilling to engage with you they will only deal with somebody that they see themselves in exactly. and they yeah. see their lived experience in as well so as and much also, as much as i'm complaining about it i understand why it's necessary and i love how much your um your enthusiasm for this team and i think it's it's well placed i think this is an opportunity and i think it's an opportunity for healing and hope like you both said and it's a lovely thing i think a lot of us struggle with how much to lean into our british pride and what that really means because we are we are living with the legacy of colonization and then mm. there is so much discomfort around this country being so unwilling to talk about the truth and 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 accept the truth of, of what what happened but things like this are so powerful and and are directly plugging into so many of the people that are unwilling to engage with Britain's history so when we kind of almost when the issue is being put in front of them so starkly in the present it's a really powerful thing a really really powerful thing and I think it's regarding Gareth Southgate and the whole um, idea of it having to be a white person bringing this up, which for me, it's like it's both annoying and really good because we need yeah. white people to yeah. put we themselves in really yeah. uncomfortable yeah. situations. And we need Gareth Southgate to sacrifice some of his humility and some of, you know, his ego just to kind of um, take like uh, encourage the footballers to take the knee and to to receive the booing and put himself on the line yeah. like we we need white people to be more white people to be doing that mm. as annoying as it is they are the ones that need to be putting themselves in those putting their bodies between us and and the public so as much as it is annoying i think um that's exactly kind of what we need them to be doing 100%. And, and, it, I, and it isn't... I'm so sorry, carry on. No, no, go for it. Go for it, Natasha. <laughs> I was going to say, this isn't a new experience for him. He's passed through the eye of that needle before. Mm. And mm. so I think there is a tougher skin there and there is a resilience yeah. there about this. So I, I, I'm not sure anybody else could have done done it. It's, Face you know, the country. Him or David Beckham, maybe. like Because right. David Beckham's had effigies of him hanging off lampposts <laughs> and people burning him because I can't even remember why because he missed a free kick or something or, didn't he oh, kick I think it, like he, another, he kicked somebody yeah. and everyone wanted him dead so yeah. it's <laughs> bananas isn't it it's interesting listening to um excuse me it's interesting listening to the Beckham speak and stuff like that because again he uh, you're, you're, it's really interesting you, you brought Beckham up because yeah they kind of do have somewhat similar experiences with this country whereas like there are there are white English men but they have experienced so much hate from white English people that mm. like it gives them this kind of like insight into like, Oh, this, I can, uh, I have like a, like a, a glimpse into what it could be like for someone mm. like people of color to experience this on some level. Um, and so that's interesting. And I think, again, like you said, Gareth, Gareth is just so uniquely placed for this because Gareth, I think because of, like you said, because of what he's been through, he doesn't care. He has, he has no more Fs to give with it. Like this whole, <laughs> like he's like, no, you all, you already hate me. You've already hated yeah. me. And it's yeah, like, exactly. it, it, you, what, what, like, and I think, not, I think missing that penalty, like that was, I think that was probably, I don't know how much lower you can go from that. I think that mm. was like, and again, it's like when, you know, my, you know, so you speak about this in your book and we spoke about this many times before this, like this, this deep initiation of the soul and like this yeah. going, you know, this descent. It's a death. It's, it's a, a death. death. He and died. Like part of him died when he was, when he went through that experience in 96 yeah. and because he's lost everything, he lost everything. He, that part of him died and he's, he's now gone through that initiation and he's been reborn and look at him now. Look at how you're, you're untouchable. He's you? Yeah, I'm so dying is not bad. It's not <laughs> white people. It's okay. If, if, again, it's okay. If, I think, if you look at Gareth Southgate, there's look because because once you once again he 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 died and was resurrected. Yeah, literally, was resurrected. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and we're like, it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you know, if we look at. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into a whole religion <laughs> thing right now. But but like the thing the thing is. But like, if you know, if, if for this to be a Christian country, like, if you were to take the, if you're going to model yourself after Christ, we should, we should all be dying and resurrected. Exactly. And like, exactly. that's what we should all be doing. Yeah, you know, 100%. and there are there are, know there are multiple deaths that we have in this life. Yeah. 
you know? Yes, yeah. And this is the thing. I think people, I don't think people think about it this way and I wish that they did. You're, I, I don't think life is just one linear thing. I think mm. you live many lives within yes. your lifetime and, and part of that philosophy is so beautiful because it means that there it allows for different versions of you um and different stages of you where perhaps there's ignorance or mistakes to end to die to finish and then and then for you to be almost reborn and go okay well this is a fresh clean slate what what more can I learn? How can I develop? How can I grow? How do I move into a new phase? How do I evolve? And that's such mm. a more that's a more beautiful way to move through this entire process. And I lo- I love what you both said. It is it is a death. It is a death it's when a death. you go through that thing because it is like especially when it's on a national level when you are adored by everybody and you're suddenly feeling that revocation of belonging and that's what happens to people of color when they are first experiencing that first um, instance of racism Mm. when they realize that this world is no longer safe that this world that they thought they belonged in everything that they were rooted in as home is taken away from them when they realize this isn't yours you this ground is not for you you don't belong here I am this is for me this is not for you and that there's something very visceral and powerful about that feeling of of somebody disconnecting your sense of belonging to everything you know and that that can happen when your entire nation turns on you as well when you thought you were placed in x and you're shunted into y mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that's a really unique experience for a cishet white male who's at the top of his yeah. game and in, in, in an athlete who's who's loved by the nation to feel um, and feel so immediately to go from like naught to effigy. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a lot, but it, it's it's a really unique thing. And I think people like that are best places are as our allies and it's an awful thing to have to go through but but it they get a a slice of what that is like for people of color we get a chipping away version of that over a lifetime yeah and i think there's something about what people of color have been through when we lost so much it was absolutely terrible but i i feel like in other situations losing everything can be an incredibly liberating experience with yeah. Gareth Southgate, he probably felt like his whole world was falling apart when he was hated mm. by the nation. And I'm sure this has happened for many other people. But, you know, in losing everything, you can start again. Mm. And and there's such liberation. And I think it, this is, goes back into whiteness and white supremacy. In having everything, there's an incredible tension to keep it. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. I know this because I've, I've kind of, uh, not that I'm white, but like I have given up a lot of things so that me and my partner, who is white, can travel around. We don't have a fixed address. We don't have like a contract. And there's something so liberating in giving everything up and like having less, even, you know, giving out some of our identities up as as flat renters and as people who have like fixed jobs. And I think mm-hmm. um, talking to white people now in terms of giving up your white identity there is something hugely liberating about giving that up because you will be free of this crap that weighs you down and separates you from your humanity a hundred percent and it's and it's the energy and effort that you're expending and fighting to protect this thing that you don't fully actually understand because that all the facts and information aren't with you because most of it is uh, pseudoscience and most of yeah. it is fictionalized history and there is a part of you that knows that um, because we are in an age of transparency we are an, in an age where all of those walls and all of that constructed world that isn't very true is starting to melt away and that mm. that's why I think tensions around this are so high and the white fragility is so high but it, in in letting it all go in losing everything in doing what you're doing now it's so and we were talking about this yesterday weren't we Maya mm. when um because because Maya's doing that at the moment with her partner and they're living this ama- amazing nomadic lifestyle and you sold so many things and gave so many things to charity <laughs> before you did that and when yeah. I moved to London about a year and a half ago I left my entire like life behind and I and 
this entire storage space of things. I was like, oh, I don't need any of this, and just gave it, get, left, gave it away because I. Did, and it's so freeing to mm. just start, start from scratch with 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 nothing and just have the yeah. bare essentials, and then build that new life, build that, construct that new world and reimagine what that now looks like. And it's this, it's so purifying. Yeah. It's just a yes. wonderful, wonderful process because when when you have a blank sheet of paper, again, possibility is infinite. Possibility Endless. is a lovely, lovely thing. And 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 starting from scratch, starting from the beginning, it's it's a it, it's, it's beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah, it's so, so beautiful. And and I understand that there's a lot of fear around leaving what you know, but it's exactly what Daniel was saying as well. What is on offer is so yeah. much better than what you have because holding on to what you have with with this aggressive and and um, fractious uh, energy around yeah. it, it, I just it's not good for us as a country. It's not good for individuals. It's not no. good for anything at all. And I think we're slowly moving towards that. Yeah. I think white people suffer just as much as the rest of us in holding yeah. on to that. There's an incredible amount of pain that must have to run through your body to hold others in oppression mm. because it's not natural to our humanity. So to keep others down, even if you're not deliberately waking up every day and consciously saying, oh, I, I'm going to keep people of color down. There is an unconscious energy that's running through most people because that's what you've been programmed with. Mm. And it, it's painful. It must be painful for the oppressor just as much as it is for the oppressed. That takes a lot of energy. So just to drop that load and to put that big suitcase of, of energy down and just to be like, hey, I'm, I'm free. What do you need? Like, and, and start building these proper alliances and like joining forces with people of color. I believe the fruits of that would be just beautiful and there have been instances in history where people of color and working class white people have united surprise surprise a lot of those aren't talked about in our mm. in our uh, common history but they have happened um and it is a powerful thing and that's why the elites do not want that to happen and that's why you see divide and rule even with mm. um you know recently they um uh, the government said that um, a lot of white working class kids are suffering because of the term white fragility. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's the, it's a divide and rule once again. Um, as you said, Danny, it's a very predictable energy. Mm. If we can predict that and work against that, that's the key. One thing I wanted to kind of bring us to, I agree completely, by the way, uh, <laughs> I wanted to just bring up as well, because I'm mindful of time. Yes. Um, is that just in terms of un oppression and and uh, understanding who the aggressors are and and things like that? I find the concept of the Fourth of July quite strange um, mm -hmm. because in this dynamic you have um, the Americans uh, who were breaking free from the British, who were in this relationship were um, uh, the the. I suppose are the the ruling force, and it wasn't really colonization because you're colonizing the natives, all of you, and yeah. and you are British by heritage. But it, I so Dan, you you were brought up in America before yes. you moved to England, and I, what was your take on the Fourth of July? Because I I find it a very strange concept, but I have a lot of American friends that celebrate it in the same way that they do kind of Thanksgiving because it's a national holiday. It's when they get to see their families, but there's not really much interrogation around this holiday in general. And I was wondering what your take was on it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's you know, I'm 31 now. I'm very grateful for my life experience of being a British American or British Caribbean African American man, I'd say, you know, and, being born in this country, raised in America, now back living in this country, you know, and just getting to see these two worlds, both being a part of them, but also objectively as well. The fourth of July, I mean, I think right now, I think it's really interesting in terms of the cultural moment we're in. I think a lot of 
holidays are being interrogated more. You know, I think, you know, we're in a space, particularly in America, you know, I mean, Thanksgiving was something that was always interrogated and you all kind of, even in school and stuff like that, you would, you would hear like people make jokes and stuff like that about like, you know, the fact that we shouldn't be celebrating it and stuff like that. But now I think it's, 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 it's ramped up even more. And again, people still engage with it and participate because Thanksgiving particularly is a very big connection point for a lot of people in America. And I think you can, you can enjoy the holiday and still interrogate its roots and, you know, I think, I don't know, I think people are still, I think particularly black and brown people in America are still trying, with Thanksgiving, are still trying to find out where they fit with that and stuff like that. Because one thing is, one thing that's going to happen is that people are going to eat on Thanksgiving in America. Full stop, this paragraph. People are just going to do that. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's like, again, I think there's still work to do around that. With the 4th of July, I mean, I know, so I think many people have divested from that in America. I think, you know, and again, people will probably maybe go to a party or something like that because it's happening on that holiday, but it's not, I think the energy of like, this is land of the home, you know, and the brave and like all that. It's just like, well, I think America, the same way the UK is going through its processing and having to look itself in the mirror. I mean, we have to remember America is the spawn of the brain, you know? And so energetically (laughs) they, they are linked. And so, America is also going through that reckoning as well. Not everyone mm-hmm. is doing it. that. It's a very big country. You have a lot of different viewpoints and ideologies, but I think a lot of people are do recognize that, you know, and it's, I mean, it's an interesting holiday. I mean, it's like, again, it's like, you know, and I think that ties into like Juneteenth as well in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, all these different, different holidays. And I don't know, it's an interesting conversation to have, you know, 4th of July, you know, I don't, I don't celebrate it myself, you know, mm-hmm. There's, you know, I think for me, it's, you know, it's a weird holiday anyway. You just go and watch fireworks and you have a cookout. So it's not even like, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not like Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, it's like, I mean, mm. it's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know if that even answers anything, but like, I guess. <laughs> it's no, a, but it's it a, does. Like, I think it's, yeah. I think it's important. It's quite, it, it's interesting that it's like a nothingy holiday in terms of it's when you see family, it's when you have a barbecue, it's when you do fireworks. For us, the the 5th of November is like that. Mm. But when we look into the sinister history of the 5th of November, it was when Guy Fawkes tried to plot to blow up the Houses of Parliament. And yeah. we, the things that they did to that man, the way mm. that they tortured him in the Tower of London, they chopped up his body into four pieces and sent it to the four corners of Britain. His head was on a spike outside mm. the Tower of London. They tortured him so badly. When we learned about it in school, there is a picture in history books of his signature that they made him sign his confession. It is harrowing what what they did. It was an unsuccessful um, attempt at, uh, you know, terrorism. And, and and yes, fine, it was awful what he did, but we don't learn the contextual history around yeah. it. We don't learn what drove him to that point. What was the establishment doing to the people at that time um, to, to force somebody to take such drastic action? We... And Catherine Wheels, the history of Catherine Wheels, it's about the way a woman was killed, and and that was the torture, and, and that mm. is a that is a recreational that that's a firework that we that we use on 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 bonfire night, and and there we we used to burn effigies of of Guy Fawkes on bonfires on the fifth of November, and it is the whole thing is when you dig down into it, so dark and so sinister. But really, that's the one night of the year that we have fireworks, and that's when children, you know, have you know, burn things on the on on you know, they have marshmallows and stuff, and you take you go to the park, and it's a family event. And so, if we try to reform uh, learning around that and or curtail the way people uh, celebrated that day this country would be outraged and it would just it would cause so many problems and it's it's one of those things where the, i think the history perhaps has been removed from from what it means to the public now but it's it's so strange when we look look back at it and 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 see what it's what what it's rooted in um because there's so many of my american friends as well that it is it literally is just when you have fireworks and go out and watch fireworks and then have a barbecue and see your family yeah definitely yeah definitely i think you know it's one of those things with you know it's interesting in america because 
to be honest, a lot of Americans actually are taught about the history of America and the genocide that British people inflicted upon the Native Americans. Like, we actually mm-hmm. are taught about that. Like, mm-hmm. so it is almost a conscious, like, it's in the consciousness, you know? Right. At least I I, was, I I went to school and you learned about it. I mean, literally in the textbook, it's, it, and I think it said genocide in there. Really? Like, I'm yeah. surprised. I'm it's really surprised. <laughs> it, yeah. said, it said genocide in there. Wow. Um, at least I can remember, but I learned about that and I learned how they did it. Like, they did it through, like, a lot of it was through, um, and it's interesting that we're in COVID now, a lot of it was through um, smallpox. Yeah. And, like, in, you know, yes. intention, yeah, yeah. intentionally germ, infecting germ Native Americans. Yeah. It was, yeah, essentially germ warfare. Um, and so, and so I actually learned that in school I did, you know, um, but not saying that the education system is amazing, uh, there and there aren't things that are hidden and due to the, the previous, uh, U S administration, they, there have been more laws that have cracked down on educating people about whether it's slavery or, you know, the history of native Americans and British, uh, British's, uh, British people's engagement with them. So there's a lot of stuff that is that is hidden there. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to say that American education system isn't hiding stuff. It definitely is. But I won't be truthful about my, my personal experience with that. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think if we zoom out a little bit, I think it highlights, it, you know, it highlights the conversation around education full stop and what government, particularly governments, try to do to hide history and mm. erase history. And I think we see that a lot happening in America and in the UK as well. Last year, the, you know, um, the UK passed legislation that prohibited, you know, uh, a lot of uh, prohibited, prohibited schools from teaching history from a victim uh, point of view, you know. Yeah. And so uh, that is, again, very harrowing, very dark, very sinister. Um, and and I mean dark in a bad way, not dark in a good way, because dark is also good. But, <laughs> exactly. um, but again, we look at the erasure of of black and brown people, the erasure of uh, the atrocities that have been inflicted onto us, you know? And again, that is a way of which white supremacy lives is because of the erasure of, of history and people aren't being educated about what actually took place. You know, most people in this country don't understand exactly what colonialism was and the ramifications of it and what actually took place during colonization. And mm-hmm. so for a country where so many people are proud of its history, so many people don't actually know its history, you know? And so it's like, you're proud of a history you don't actually know. And you only know it from one vantage point, you know, and that's, and that's the white British vantage point, you mm-hmm. know? And so you don't recognize, you know, and understand the cultural fabrics that were destroyed and still are destroyed to this very day. You know, you don't understand, you know, the poverty that is still here to this very day, the racism that is still here to this very day. And you can literally trace it back historically to mm-hmm. these events, you know, this we didn't just get here by you know some whimsical like <laughs> drop. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like there's there's very there's a very clear timeline of how we got here. And again, when we look at that, you know, when we look at historical context, which I think is really important, that starts opening up all bunch a bunch of things: capitalism, climate change, you know, mm. racism, sexism. You start seeing you start seeing how all of this is completely connected to each other, yeah. and how it and how it got how we got here, and who is benefiting the most from these structures being in place. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, And thank you very much, Daniel, for joining us. Um, So I'm going to close up by saying you can follow us at the Decolonial Podcast on Instagram, where you will find a link to the microaggression hotline, where you can leave anonymous messages of everyday racial bullshit that you may experience, because we all do. Uh, practically on a daily level um (laughs) our next episode of the decolonial podcast will be recorded live for south asian heritage month on sunday the 15th of august so if you'd like to get involved with the live recording and q a we'll release information on our instagram the decolonial podcast otherwise episode three will be out on the 15th of august and will be found on all of the usual channels including spotify daniel can be found at daniel edmund on Instagram and Daniel underscore Edmund on Twitter and DanielEdmund.com. So to find out more about our decolonizing course that Daniel and I are going to start soon, um, stay tuned into our social media accounts and we'll be posting updates. So um, ooh, ooh, hang on, hang on. What's your course cool. about? So we are question. going, th- that is a very good question. So we're going to be on <laughs> Patreon. Thank you for asking. We're going to be on Patreon and we're going to be releasing um probably three weekly uh, courses that's yet to be confirmed um 
where we um, explore um, decolonizing um, from different um, topics. So, for example, we could be looking at Christian de- uh, Christian colonization and how to decolonize ourselves from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, body image, including body dysmorphia, um, spirituality, uh, you name it. it. Colonization has affected every aspect of our life. So we will be talking about things like sexuality, mm-hmm. gender, um, our the true histories. And I think what's so beautiful is that we've got, it, it will be a cross-cultural conversation because myself and Daniel are from, you know, we're, we're black and brown and we are, uh, you know, we identify as male and female. So we will have like these very uh, differing yet complementary experiences where we can really respect and listen to each other's uh, opinions and bring other people in. So, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to say more about it, Daniel. No, that's, that's, that's a great summary of what we're going to be doing. <laughs> uh, I'll just say I'm very excited for it and it's going to be good and we're going to have a good time with it as well you know exactly. i think people can really look forward to a good time uh, so like is it going to se- be like on zoom or how are you guys delivering it we're, we're still putting it together but I th- some stuff through zoom yeah Perfect. yeah different different um sort of different types of media i think zoom um we're probably gonna um release maybe some like uh audio meditations as well yeah um, we're gonna have it we're gonna do some ig lives like it's gonna be a few different things i believe um and we do want it to be very embodied uh daniel and i were very um i i don't like the word spiritual uh but i will use that <laughs> word or i will use the word mystics because that's a, that's a word that we, we both kind of identify with so there will be a embodied approach a sort of mystic approach as well as cerebral and Mm. we want to go into the shadow work as well that's something that we feel very strongly about so it will be for people who really want to transform and really do some of that hard-hitting shadow work um so yeah stay tuned for for more about that yeah definitely it's it's gonna it's gonna be really good i have i just feel really really good about it and so yeah you definitely want to stay tuned for that it yeah. sounds great. It sounds really, really good. Um, so when, okay, so when you, when it's all ready and good to go, we can um, watch out for it on the Decolonials Instagram as well. And we'll yes. let you know details and, and we can let you know when it's happening and what's going on and how you can, um, how you can register. We'll signpost to it because it really ties in with a lot of the things that we're talking about and a lot of the things that we're doing as well. So I'm sure our audience would, would, would love this. It sounds great. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Because it's taking decolonizing from a theory to an actual practice. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we we need to live it, not just sort of talk about it. So we're going to be helping support people through that. Love it. Proud of you. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening so much. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you, Daniel. It's been an incredible conversation. And we really hope that um, you all who are listening will get Um, as much out of it as we've had from from speaking today and until we see you next time uh, we see you hear you and look forward to it so thank you very much thanks so much guys and thanks daniel thank you all for having me it's been great bye bye later